the nation of Egypt, brought into the land of Canaan, which is this kind of promised land, uh, a land filled with milk and honey, a place we'd all want to live. Like picture your favorite vacation destination. You just get to go live there forever, right? Like that's the goal. God said, I'm going to take you from this terrible place and send you to your vacation destination for the rest of your life. That's just kind of get that idea. But what happens halfway through, which we're about to enter into now, is Israel, although being delivered by the hand of God, begins to rebel against God, and a trip that should have taken months takes 40 years, okay? And they never actually get to get to the vacation destination, okay? And so where we get in the story right now is, is kind of somewhere in the middle. And so you'll see a breakdown in a lot of the book of Exodus if you read the commentaries. Uh, chapters kind of 1 through 18 tend to be kind of the first half, and then 19 through 40 are often seen as the second half. You get kind of the first half, which kind of chronicles this exodus, this people being delivered out of Israel, and then transition to this wilderness time where God forms them, gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, and gives them all these rules and statutes that they might walk faithful as a people that are blessed to be a blessing, okay? Um, We've said that the backdrop of this whole thing for them and for us is this covenant given to a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 in a book previous to this. So just uh, prior to the story that we're studying in the book prior to that, there's this covenant or this agreement between God and this man that he would bless this man, give this man a lot of people, and he would bless that people so that that people would be a blessing to the nations, So what we get in this text is God, I think, in a transition moment. I think chapter 18 really is this linchpin moment between the first half of Exodus and the second half of God trying to establish some ground rules for how this is to go well. Like, if you are to be a blessing unto the nations, let's try and think through some logistics that make this happen and go off without a hitch. And so that's kind of what we're getting today. We're going to talk a little bit of kind of church, a little bit of leadership in the church. What does it mean for us to structure things in a way uh, that that reaches the city? Um, And then why do we do that? Like, what is the motivation? And we actually get that here on the front end. Now, I want to say this real briefly. Last week, uh, we celebrated... Actually, we didn't really celebrate. We just told you we were seven years that we had planted the church since then, which was an exciting thing, but it was kind of just like, yay, seven. Like, it's not like this amazing number that you really get rah-rah, but I didn't have people come up and say, like, hey, are you getting the seven-year itch? Like, are you trying to leave? Uh, and no, like, we're not trying to do that. We're excited to be here. But it did give me some nostalgia. Like, it did give me some time to reflect this last week on what God has done and how he's allowed this church to be planted here in this city. Myself and, and Anthony and his wife and my wife and uh, two other couples and this, this single guy, Zach, that dated, like, every single girl in our <laughs> ministry the first year, right? Like, uh, uh, we all moved up to plant this church in 2012, and, man, I tell you, like, we, we had hopes that someday God would use it to, to reach a city. And I just want to say this to you. You guys are an answer to like a decade of prayer. Um, like, like truly, unless it's your first time, you not so much. But, but everyone, everyone <laughs> but if you've been around, you've been serving in our community and seeking to, to bless this city and care for people and point them to Jesus, from the, like truly from the bottom of my heart, I know from Anthony, from us our elders and staff and leadership, you guys are an answer to prayer. Like, thank you for co-laboring and serving alongside of us. And I hope today is just a helpful, okay, this is who we are. This is why we do what we do. So let's go do it, right? And then God will work out a lot of the shaping of our hearts, the sanctification, the making us more like Jesus really over the second half of Exodus so that as we do this job, we're doing it more like Christ and less like me, 
right? We're doing it more like, you know what I'm saying? So not, we're not doing it your way of doing it. We're doing it Jesus' way of doing it, which is the only and best possible way to do it. So um, I want to pray for this text one more time because I want to ask God and the Holy Spirit to truly reveal himself in it. That's something that seems like we talk leadership, you talk some church stuff. It's not always like the funnest thing, most fun, I think is the right word, most fun thing to talk about, um, but that the Spirit would reveal things in us and then call us to greater degrees of service. And so let's bow our heads in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the seven years we've been here. Uh, God, we thank you for all the other work that, that happened way before we got here, the faithfulness of the men and women of God in this city to preach the gospel, to be a faithful presence. And Lord, we thank you that we get to be part of that now, seven years in. But Lord, I do just ask by the power of your spirit that as we, uh, as we talk about some of your work, as, as we talk about the way forward um, for us in many ways, God, that you would in us shape and conform us to your image that each and every person that is here that would call Redemption Flagstaff home would feel the right amount of spiritual burden for our city and for our church that we might be a faithful presence. Not just for uh, the next seven, but the next 70, Lord. God, we love you, we thank you, and only these things can happen if you move. And so we trust you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we go Exodus chapter 18. What we're going to get on the front end is two introductory stories that are meant to elicit worship in the people of God. So as Israel would have been thinking through these things, the, 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 the byproduct would have been, God, you're great. God, you save. God, you change lives. And I hope it's the same for us. So Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And four, uh, Verse 4, and the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And so listen, names had significant meaning throughout the Old Testament. Still in many places around the world, they'll name their children with things that will cause them to reflect and remember a story from the past, right? So you get these two here, Gershom, I was a sojourner in the land. Moses saying, okay, I remember when I was a sojourner, I didn't belong in Egypt, I didn't belong in Midian, I don't really belong in this world, that's a whole nother discussion. But in this entire thing, it's saying, God was faithful in the midst of, I don't even know why I'm here. And the second one, Eliezer, well, God, my father's God, Moses' God, like delivered him and delivered us out of the hand of Egypt, out of slavery, out of Pharaoh's rule. And so we have been saved. And so these names, right, like if you're a parent, you know this. You say your kids' names all the time, right? it's, it's, It's Finley, like, don't tackle James, right? Like, get off, Finley, get off. Like, James, get out of the oven. Like, stuff, you know what I mean? Like, it's just general things. You're always saying it. And here's the point. You say the name and then you think about why they were named that. So in everything, you see what the people of God are doing here, what Moses is doing is saying, in everything, I want to remember what God has done. Like, let, lest we ever forget that God has saved us. And, and let me say this, if you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you wouldn't say Jesus is Lord, so this whole salvation speak sounds kind of funny. What does that mean? I would love for you to just maybe reflect on why you would be here, and then please come, and I would love to talk to you about your story and share my story and talk about Jesus, because he's amazing. But for the rest of us, man, 
that we would not forget, man, like, Jesus, you pulled us out of darkness and brought us into this. And so what are these signposts you can place in your life that you wouldn't forget? Right, like, if, if maybe for you college students, maybe, maybe you don't have kids at this point. Maybe some of you do, I don't know. But, but maybe when you're thinking through naming your kid, maybe name him Salvation or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, this way you'll never forget, okay? Name him the church you got saved in. Like, it would be great if you had a bunch of just redemption babies. You know what I mean? Just like... So, so, he, so here's the thing, like, in everything, are we allowing our eyes to constantly fall upon the things that remind us of the story of God in our lives? Like, how can we position life that what we see is the work of God wherever we turn? The name thing is interesting. This is just kind of a funny story I felt like Sharon, uh, and I didn't clear it with, with Verity. Can I do this? It's the name story from when you turn 21. I can do that? Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I was supposed to ask beforehand, so sorry for putting you on the spot. I love you the best. Okay, so when Verity turns 21, we had just started dating. Uh, we were like literally like two weeks into dating. She invites me to her 21st birthday party, and at her party, like uh, her dad and all these different like pastors and leaders and friends in her life kind of got up and did this kind of impromptu, we're going to say nice things about Verity. And so they start sharing these things about her, and they say that she is great, uh, full of grace and full of truth, uh, and then regal, I think, was the, was the other term. So regal, truth, and grace. And so Verity was like, wow, that's amazing. And so the next day or somewhere thereafter, she looked up her, her actual name, Verity Ann Sarah. She has two middle names. And so um, Verity Ann Sarah, and that literally means uh, regal, graceful, and truthful, right? Or Somewhere the truthful, you get it, what I'm saying. So, um, and so she's like, oh my gosh, like this stuff is so powerful, this means so much. And at the same time, she had this, this prophetic word that was given to her that she was gonna marry a man of peace, right? So she's dating me, so she's like, well, I better look up what Vincent and then M, you don't get to know my middle name, but what Vincent M means, okay? And so she looks up the name and it means warlike conqueror, right? <laughs> and so, so then there were some conversations around like, might not be the right one, okay? But then she found out I'm the most peaceful, gracious human being on the planet, and so it's worked out a lot. Um, but see, names have meanings, right? They, they have these depths to us. So again, this is what's happening in this story. They name these kids that they remember the story of God, that they would not forget, and then we get this second amazing story here as well in verse 5. Jethro, again, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Married fellas, how many of you guys have that relationship with your father-in-law? Okay, you should try it. Just don't even prompt him. Like, just walk up, bow to his feet and start kissing him. That'd be great. And they asked each other the welfare and went to the tent. Verse 8, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done in Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Listen, now I know, verse 11, now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. What an incredible and sweet moment. 
where we get to see this kind of second story of, of life change. We, we were reminded of Moses, reminded that his story goes to generation to generation to remember the faithfulness of God. And then we get this second story where a person outside of the people of God, a Midianite was not a Jew, although a descendant of Abraham was not a covenant member of Israel. And so you have the, uh, if you guys remember this, um, Jethro is the priest of Midian. In other words, he was one of the holy men in this separate polytheistic religion. In other words, Israel, right? They believed in the one true God. The Midianites believed in a bunch of gods. And so what happens here when, when Jethro sees this, he says, listen, like, let me be very clear. We don't know if this is like full conversion. We don't know if this is he forsook all the other gods. What we do know is in the midst of his polytheistic view of the world, he saw that Yahweh was the strongest, was the best, was the top, was the one that is worthy of being followed. And so we get this amazing moment where one outside is kind of brought into the fold in this really neat and amazing, I guess, story of, that would be irony, but just this beautiful story. If you remember, because Jethro brings Moses into his home in, in very functional ways, Jethro had saved Moses' life. Now through Moses' faithfulness, Jethro is brought in and saved by Moses. This really neat kind of circular redemption work of God as he writes a beautiful story before the watching world. And so this, this is kind of who he is. Now, now here, we can think about this story and say, okay, wow, like this is amazing. God, God kind of saved or, or, or caused worship out of someone that was on the outside. And so I began to elicit all these stories. I remember I had a friend named Jason. It was a Bible study I was in right after I had gotten saved. And, and this guy had done a ton of work uh, kind of working with, with Mormons, okay? And let me say this, if, you, if you're Mormon in the room, I want you to know you're loved. There's differences between us, and, and I think we both know that. And so um, he, he would uh, work with Mormons and, and talk about Jesus and Jesus God and the gospel and all this kind of stuff, so much that he was visiting Salt Lake City and sat down with two Mormon pastors and, and converted them out of Mormonism and, and into uh, what we'd say like Christianity, right? Like biblical Christianity, Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, he rose from the dead, the whole deal. So much to the point that they believed that then they invited Jason to go speak in their Mormon churches on Sunday morning to preach the gospel to their people, okay? So like you hear that story, like, wow, that's so amazing that God brought them out of. But here's what we do when we think of a story that's out there and crazy and big. We don't realize what God has done in us. Like, it almost seems like less impressive that you didn't convert from a different religion. When I, when hear me, you did. You, you did. And so did I. It, it was just a, a religion that wasn't kind of marked down by our world as religion, but it was, for me at least, right? It, it was um, kind of consumerism status. It was, uh, I guess you'd, it was individualism. It was, how do I make the most of me? How, how is my life become most glorious before the watching world. For other it was it was different things, right? It's, it's all of these isms that we existed in that were not Jesus before Jesus. And so this, this story is amazing, but hear me, so is yours. That God would save anyone is absolutely miraculous and beautiful. And so if that's your story, worship and celebrate this morning. We don't just celebrate because God saved that guy. We, he saved us in our wretchedness, in our worship of other idols, other deities, other gods, other isms, not named Christ. 
praise him. Sing, rejoice, and then even more so, let's be the church. Let's be the faithful people of God that are a blessing to the city of Flagstaff and beyond. That preach the gospel with boldness. That stand for truth. I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? And so, remember your story. It's miraculous that God would do this work in us. Okay, um, verse uh, 13. Here we go. Um, briefly, uh, why this stuff is important, okay? Uh, I want you to think through this lens. When we, when we moved here to plant this church seven years ago, there were all sorts of discussions about like, uh, well, how are we going to go about this, right? Like, what are we going to do? What are, what, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? How do we kind of separate all this stuff? Um, and it's, it seems somewhat kind of like, well, just, just go preach, just, and which, is, which is somewhat true, but there has to be some level of structure to the work. Uh, you see, and th- hear me, this is not just like us thinking this, this is now God implementing this. And so for those of you like, ah, oh, structure's dumb and, and, and all this stuff, right, because there's a lot of you tooting that horn, I think, um, this stuff that we'll kind of go through is beautiful and helps shape the church into its right roles that we might serve together. Okay, so um, verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is, it, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. And so what we're going to get here is is this kind of a handful of recommendations for thinking through the logistics of the people of God, if you will. Kind of the structure of the people. What are some kind of things that are just like, if we want to do this well and effectively and as close and tight to the calls of God as possible, what are some ways to do that? And so he starts off with this first one. So Jethro, in a pretty bold move, goes to Moses, who's leading the people of God, and says, hey, the way you're doing this, not what you're doing, but the way you're doing it, it's not good, and you need to fix it. And so the first point that we need to learn is that the church, your faith, ministry, loving Jesus, is not a solo mission. Okay? It's not a solo. You're not meant to do this thing Alone. Now, this is now specifically, right? This is talking about leadership. Like, leaders, stop trying to do everything by yourself. Now, before some of you check out because you think you're not a leader, uh, man, I tell you, in our culture, especially with how integrated we are with one another, we're, we're in some ways leading people all the time. <laughs> Because of the access we have to one, you post a status that's shaping people in their heart and soul and mind and thought. You have a responsibility then in the midst of that to then lead well with how you present truth. Okay, so, so think about this on a specific level. So if you are a leader and speaking to myself in the leadership of this church, some of what we talk about today, you should look to Anthony and I and the rest of the leadership, to, to Andy, to Kaylee, to Jesse. I'm not gonna run the whole staff down, but you get it, and say like, are y'all doing this? Like part of that, that's part of what today is, are y'all living this way? 
Okay, you don't have to say y'all, that's me from the south, but are you all saying, is that what you guys say? Are you all doing this? Okay. So the first one, it cannot be a solo mission. To you leaders, okay, you need to delegate. You have to give things away. You will crumble. And hear me, God cares more about your health than your effectiveness. Okay? And, and I, I, don't need, I don't necessarily mean physical health in that sense. Like, God, sometimes you get wrecked. Let's be real. Okay? I've got a leg that's like one of my legs is perpetually in a cast. Okay? So, but, but God, God cares more about you than your effectiveness. And, and this is massively important. Because we live in a culture that tells you to just constantly pursue effectiveness. We work and we work and we work and we work. And I know this is true because every time I ask someone something, I say, well, how is life? You know what the number one answer I get? If it's not just the, oh, I'm good, like the, the walk-by good thing, right? If it's not that, you know what? Anyone want to guess? Busy, right? It's always busy. Everyone is always busy. Every single person, it's like I'm talking to Finley. Hey, Finley, how are you doing today? I'm busy. <laughs> okay, you're five. Okay. But then you get, you get up to us and we're like, no, nah, well, I'm just busy. Life's, life's just, it's such a grind right now. And, and hear me, there, there's, this is not me saying life should be easy. And if you've been here long enough, you know we're constantly telling you that's just not true. But this, this idolatry of busyness, it's like when we share that we're busy, we put a value statement on that. Like if you can tell your friend or someone else, well, I'm busy, it's almost as if, well, you'll appreciate me more because you know I'm out there hustling. That's foolish when we have a God who calls us to rest. When we have a God who literally here is like, no, no, no. okay, here's the way you need to form the way you think about leadership. You need to give as much away as possible. Do only what you can do. And so, okay, so then, then just bring it to all of us. This life is not meant to be a sole mission. I don't want to talk about a ton of this because Anthony preached one of the best sermons I ever heard on this like two months ago. Maybe we'll just send it out again with this, this week's weekly recap so you can listen back on more of what does it mean for us to step into that, Okay. But, but no, like, listen, leadership, wherever we're at, this, you're not meant to go solo. You need each other. And, and hear me, this might be hard. You especially need the people you disagree with, okay? Because they're going to challenge you, and they're going to force you to have to return to the scriptures. They're going to force you to ask questions. They're going to force you to pray, depend on Jesus. These are good things, okay? The next one, uh, let's transition to uh, verse... Where are we at? Uh, 19 again, and then on down to 27. Now obey my voice, I'll give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all of the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. Every small matter they shall decide themselves. So it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure. And all this people also, and, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. 
Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and they went away to his own country. And we have um, kind of a couple major points off of this in the same vein of God shaping us in health, healthy ways, healthy church. The second one is the church, hear me, the church is a place of judgment for the church. Okay? The church is a place of judgment for the church. And, and for, like, we judge each other. Okay? It's, that's not just here throughout the scriptures. And so what's happened is all these different matters would kind of rise up. Moses was teaching the statutes and laws. So as people in the midst of Israel were trying to decipher, okay, should I do it this way or should I do it this way? There were conflicts between people. They would go to Moses. Moses would mediate and judge the story and say, you're not doing that right. They're doing that better. Here's the way this should work out. The church, the fulfillment, kind of, again, we have been, if you don't know this, let me just, we have been grafted in to the people of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. The church, which we refer to now, we have been brought into that by ways of adoption through Jesus. And so now, together, we speak of corporate. Okay, so so when we say the church, we, if you're here and you're a Christian, we're called to judge one another. Now, we don't like this very much. We've been kind of drinking the water for a long time that says, only God can judge me. But now, a lot of our culture has removed God, so it's really like, well, there's no one left. I'll do what I want. Okay? It used to be, sure, I welcome it. Refine me, tell me what's going on. Only God can judge me. He's gone. It's just me. I get to decide. Hear me. This is a development over time. It is not a natural truth, and it is contrary to the Bible. It's contrary to Jesus. In church, we judge each other. And that's a really good thing. I, I literally, like, if I, if I just start thinking about, I got saved in college. And, and like any, like, like 18, 19-year-old kid, who is, who is like starting to learn about Jesus but has 18 years of the other stuff, right, just kind of jam-packed in there. Man, I tell you, there is, even to this day, there's just all sorts of stuff that just is like, if someone didn't say, bro, what are you doing, man? Like, that's not what we do. That's not how we live. I, I, I wouldn't be here, right? I wouldn't have been married to Verity, okay? Like, judgment, the church calling me out in my sin, as hard as it's been, has been the best possible thing for my life. And hear me, that's true for you too, whether you believe it or not, and I hope you do, but if you don't, I hope one day that gets revealed to you. Because sin is that destructive. It's that broken, going against the statutes and laws of God. It's not just that it's quote-unquote wrong. It's that it's bad for you. What God was doing, and we're going to see this through chapters 19 through 40, as he's bringing the law to the people of Israel, he is establishing a people governed by a perfect law, a perfect rule, a perfect way of doing things. And why could he do that? Because he's God who's perfect. And so he's establishing life will be best lived if you live it this way. And so 
praise God that we have each other to say no. The question is, are you going to listen to each other? Or do you want to stick with the same cultural mantra of like, well, no one's left to judge me but me, so I'll decide. There's some scary stuff right there. When all of a sudden, I, I know me. My friends know me really well. If I got to decide all right from wrong, this would be an absolute not great place. <laughs> Praise God that he calls us into this for the sake of one another. Now, in the midst of that, we can go to extremes here that are not helpful. And, and, and so just for, uh, for levity's sake, we, you have on one side who I will name legalistic Lou, okay? So, so picture the caricature of a man named Lou, okay? And he's pointing at you, okay? That's what I want you to picture there. If there's someone here named Lou, please stand up, okay? No, it's good. Okay, so, um, so legalistic Lou, okay? Um, and on the other side is enabling Eddie, okay? And, and just kind of picture Eddie. He's probably wearing hemp. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Caleb, would you? No, just kidding. So, um, but he's probably going like, like this. So you got a guy pointing and a guy going like this, okay? And so those are your, your two spectrums, all right? Um, and both of these, hear me, are equally harmful. They're both equally harmful. Legalism and saying, okay, listen, there's no grace. Do this right. Get this right and, or else, right? Like it's kind of like setting this consequence or else, unhelpful. Over here, this enabling, uh, it's all grace. There's no truth. Not helpful, Okay, you guys get it. I don't need to go deeper. So right in the middle, this perfect blend of grace and truth is Jesus, right? It's Jesus. So, so hear me, don't, don't think of the best person you know that's good at this uh, because I guarantee you they, they stink at it too. It's, it's Jesus who throughout the gospels, throughout the scriptures, you'll just constantly see he goes to people in love and in grace and in mercy, but with truth and justice. And this perfect merging of the two. Why? Because we are to call each other to holiness. And so the question is, are you truly being Jesus to everyone in the church? And that means both. That means we judge each other and call each other to holiness. This was important for the people of God in the Old Testament as God was forming Israel because he was trying to create in them a people that when the world looked at Israel, they'd say, Yahweh, like Jethro said, Yahweh is greater than all the gods. And the same should be true for us today. Okay, number three, the church is to disciple and raise up leaders. Okay, I remember the first moment when we were planting this church that we had, it was like our first core team meeting. Anthony and Jess were there. Uh, these other, there was nine of us, I think, in the room. And, and we're sitting around. I think I had set the meeting at like seven o'clock. Like, let's start at seven. Uh, and Verdi and I, I think we, we showed up on time that day, which was great. And so we're there, and everyone's sitting around, and we're talking. I think we're eating. And then it was about like 7.30 or so. I'm like literally sitting there thinking like, is this ever going to start? Like, are we going to do this meeting? And then I remember like thinking like, oh, I'm supposed to start the meeting. <laughs> like, I called this meeting. I'm leading this thing. That's my responsibility, right? 
And I remember finally starting that meeting and looking around this room at these people, and I was remember thinking, like, these poor people, <laughs> like, they don't know what they've gotten themselves into. Leadership development, right, is something God does for the sake of the other. Hopefully, God, and you guys could attest as Verity could, hopefully I've become a better leader and shepherd in our church over the, since that meeting, right? But that wasn't so that I would be a great leader. It wasn't for my name or my, right? It was for my team and for the work that we were looking to do here in Flagstaff, Arizona. You are not being strengthened, discipled, and risen up for it to die with you. You're being strengthened, discipled, and risen up for the sake of the other. Because at one point, and even to this day, we are all also the other. I still right, am being developed, strengthened by other staff members, by other leaders, elders, people in our church. Again, because we judge one another, we call each other to holiness. The church must be about discipleship and raising up the leaders. We just sent, I think it was 11 of our, of our uh, women leaders to a conference in Phoenix uh, for Surge or something, and it was peacemaking in the gospel, right? And I'm just so ecstatic and overjoyed to hear about what they've learned. Because we constantly need to be investing in, pouring into, well, who is going to shepherd and lead the people? Because it's something Israel is doing with, some we're doing with. So there's some qualifications that come in this about leadership. So the first one, leaders are to be qualified. Okay, and we get some things from the text. First is able. Can, can they do it, right? Like, can, can you actually, like physically, emotionally, can you, are you able to lead? The next one is fear God. In other words, do they know God, revere God? Is, is there a bit of this like, that dude could, could crush me at any given moment? Like the, so let's not, just, let's not just take fear and be like, it's only reverence. There's some real like, they just saw the seas open and collapse upon the entire Egyptian army. Like there's some real like, that dude could get me, okay? But also reverence, also love, also am I with him? Do they know God? Massively, massively, massively important. The third one, are they trustworthy? This is a massive one in the church today, I think, because what we've done for a lot of time, and this can happen not just in the church, but it happens pretty frequently, we choose competence over character. And those days have to stop because God never requires competence. He does require character. But we flipped it on its head and said, like, well, if you're great from the stage, if you can talk to people, if you're winsome, man, we're going to really invest in you. doesn't matter if your heart is bankrupt and you got all sorts of junk going on. What the Bible's looking for, what, what, what Jethro is calling towards the leadership of Israel and the leadership in our churches now is character over confidence. Are they trustworthy? Like, and that's massive. Like, if you come and speak to a leader here at the church or just anyone in your life, you're sure hoping that when you go and sit down with them, what they speak to you is truth. They're not lying to you. Sounds obvious. It's somewhat of a lost art. Okay. And we can expound that. Is there character sound? And so again, remember I said, like, this, this is important for you guys to then, to then look to the leadership and say, are, are, we, are we this? Like, do, we, do we love God? Are we physically able? Okay? And do we have sound character? You should acquire that and seek that for every leader in your life. 
And if you don't know, you should find out. The last one, that they would hate a bribe. Okay? In other words, they couldn't be bought. I think we can expound this too. They're not prone to idolatry. They're not prone to being pulled out of the calling they've received from God. They're not, being, they're not prone to worship something else. This one being money. Right? So you come in, you make it, I'll take money over this calling God's given. Are they prone to idolatry? Do you see evidence of that in their lives? Do you see it in our own? Okay. Massively, massively, massively important. The next one, um, leaders have different capacities, right? So you have uh, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. I don't think this is meant to necessarily be taken literally, especially in the church today, that, okay, you get, you get a thousand and, and you get a thousand, right? It's, not, it's just saying, I think leaders have different capacities. And hear me, this is not, well, if you do the thousands, then you're varsity, right? Then, right, you're, you're, you're uh, starting, right? Starting on the varsity team. And then maybe if you can do hundreds, you're on the team, but you're not starting. And then JV, and you get on down to Frosh, right? Like, that's, that's not what this is. It's not like if you get more people, you're better at this. It's, it's God saying, like, listen, no, there's just, there's just going to be realities to all sorts of reasons and context of why capacity would change, especially in our world today. There, there's some, listen, there are, there are men and women in this room that are better leaders than me. Hands down. It's not even close. But they also work at Gore. Okay? They don't work here. So to ask them to shepherd the people of God 40 to 50 hours a week on top of their 40 to 50 hours at Gore, that's foolish. Okay? There's all sorts of little bits and pieces that speak to capacity of what we do and how we lead. Again, the question is character, faithfulness. Will we show up? Okay. The last little leader thing we get here is leaders are there for those they lead. Okay. So when you see, when this calling is, listen, there's some matters you need to take care of but there's a lot you don't, right? He's like, so, so in other words, what you have is the people here as he's dispensing the leadership across the people of God in Israel. They're saying, hey, there's some things you should bring to Moses and there's other things you should just do yourself, okay? And hear me, I think what this is is when the mindset becomes, I need to be, the, be a great leader, you do more than you're supposed to, okay? When, when the mindset is, I have to be the one to figure this out, you can potentially harm those you're leading. Okay, I, I, the, one of the most important things we can do is know our deficiencies and our weaknesses. But, but that's not a real happy thing to study in our culture, like, right? It, it's like, well, no, you're, you're great and you're powerful and, you, and you're great at all these things. It's like, I mean, but you need to know, but you're terrible at this, 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 and this. And you know what? That's okay. Bring it to someone else. Go, go to somebody else. If, if you can't solve, don't, so here's what I mean. When I say leaders are, are there for those they lead, when the shift goes from I have to be the best leader to I have to be for that person, then you will do whatever it takes to get the right pieces around that person for their story, not your own. It's this constant shift of the people of God in our hearts to be focused on other instead of self. And again, we say that is not easy in our world. But that's why we have leadership. And so the last thing is uh, we need more leaders here right now. 
And so what I'm saying here is, um, I think sometimes in church what we've done is we've kind of created a very top-down structure, okay? Where, Where all of a sudden it's like, well, because me and Anthony get the most time up here, it's like, well, we are we are the leaders. And so you guys come, and maybe you do things out there, but maybe it's, we need to press against that and into that at the same time. But let me get to that in just a moment. God has equipped and established in you, if you're here and you know the Lord, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and he is shaping you and conforming you to the image of Jesus. You, as a unique person created in the image of God, have thoughts, stories, giftings, talents, and loves for our city that we want to empower you to go and do, that you would lead people into a greater knowledge of Jesus and a greater hope in his kingdom. And so hear me, if, if there's just things stirring, you're like, oh, I, I've never thought about that, or maybe, maybe you're like, oh, man, I would love to kind of step into that. What I'm saying is we would love to develop more leaders here. And, and so if that's weird for you to do, like, or, I mean, if this is weird, do it anyway. Like, stop by the Connect Desk and say, like, I don't know what this means. I've always felt like I, I felt called into, into serving and, and leadership and all this stuff. I want to know you. Like, we want to talk to you. What does that mean? Do we actually fulfill what the church, what the people of God are called to do in developing leaders? Not just passively. Like, not are we just doing some stuff from stage? Not am I just talking about we need leaders? But do we actually get, a, get into your life and let's develop you as a leader of God's people? We want to do that. And, and so come, please, talk to us about that. Why all of this? Because the needs of the church are too many. The mission of God is too big. The talents of the people are too needed and the statutes of God are too good. But we can't just kind of bypass what we're talking about today. But ultimately, because we believe in a God that changes lives. I think when you look at this passage and it starts with these two amazing stories, it's meant to be motivation why, why would you willingly let someone else judge you? Because God saves people. Like, why, why would you willingly give away power? Because God saves people. Like, why, why would we, instead of thinking about self, we think about other all the time? Why? Because God saves people and God changes lives. Because God does these things, man, bring it on. Listen, like in healthy ways, please critique the critique us. <laughs> Tell us how we make the church better. Let's be a family that encourages each other. Why? Because God is the one changing lives. And that's why we're here. Why do we give you that survey? Like it might seem weird. Because if listen, if it's just about us just really enjoying the hugs and high fives and coffee that we get on Sunday, we're not here for the right reasons. That stuff's great. I don't want to undersell that. That stuff's amazing. We need each other in communion and in life. But if if, if the hand doesn't go outside these walls, I tell you, man, like, let's just close up shop. There's no point in being here. God changes lives. And he does does so through Jesus. Just think about this for a moment, and we're done. In all the ways, right, you have Moses, Jethro goes to Moses, hey, listen, you, you, can't, you can't judge the people. You, don't, you, you can't possibly do that, okay? You don't have the capacity, you don't have the time, you're not a good enough leader, et cetera, et cetera. 
Israel, you can't judge yourself, so you need another judge. Israel, you can't fulfill all the law and the statutes. You're going to fail. Listen, every part of this text, you see Israel and Moses unable, right? That in everything, when Jesus comes and is able, he would be worthy of worship. Because Jesus, although Moses could not judge, Jesus can and has and will. In the same way Israel would fail, Jesus would not fail. And so that when he would go to the cross, okay, he would deliver all of us. We were just um, at an adoption for Sweet Baby Zion whoop, whoop, um, the other day in the courtroom, and it was amazing. And I love going to those things and seeing these sweet and amazing kids brought into these amazing families. We got to sit there, and if you notice when you walk into a courtroom, the judge is a bit higher than everyone else. And that was intentional, right? They have authority. They have power in that moment. So the judge sits higher and above. And she's standing there, and, um, and she passes the judgment that, like, you know, Zion is officially a McCracken, which is awesome. Like, you know, gavel hits or whatever, and, and, it's, and, and it's done. And then she comes down off, and she takes a couple pictures, and then she goes to her room in the back. Okay? And it's this, it's this beautiful scene, right? No, no, what Jesus does as the judge is unlike this, there was no sentencing, there was no crime, it was a beautiful thing, but in the same way, the judge, Jesus now standing above all of us with power and authority, looks upon, judges us, sitting in the courtroom about what is right for us. And hear me, what is right for us is death. Is we should not be able to know him. But the way we are invited is, hear me, the judge then, Jesus, gets off of his place of authority, comes down into where we are, and then stays put. So that then, in that staying put, in his presentness in our life, he lives the life that you and I could not live, and then he takes on the punishment that the judge had just dispensed, which was death. And he took it upon himself at the cross that now, sitting as judge again, he looks not upon you, but looks upon himself and says, no, I I died for that one too. And in the ultimate act of humility, he stays with us. As he said in, in Matthew 28, I will be with you until the end of the age. Through the power of the Spirit who is present in the life of the church today. In other words, church, the only reason any of this matters is because Jesus is the judge and he judges his church justified, faithful, forgiven, set free, loved, and sent for eternity because of himself. So we praise him because he saves lives, not just the two in the beginning of our story, but all who would take upon his flesh, who would take upon his blood and call him Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace, mercy, love, hope, and peace. God, I ask that you would guide us and shape us, Lord, as your people this morning. God, that we would, um, we would be faithful to that which you've called us to, that the church would be such a witness in our community that the world would see the gospel, 
would see a God who is greater than all the other gods. But God, it starts with worship, I think, in this space today. Would the people of God worship this morning through praise and singing, through response, through action, through prayer, through the embracing of one another, through the encouragement and calling to live out our giftings, God? Would in everything you be praised and worshiped greatly? That in that worship, God, you would send us and we would be faithful because we know it is only by your grace and mercy that we too are saved. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing here, Lord, and we ask for more. Not for our glory, but for your own. Not for our name, but your own. Holy Spirit, be in this place. Shape us, save us, and mold us in Jesus' name. Amen.